would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Led by a vision from God of a Macedonian calling to him, Paul left Asia Minor, Turkey, went to Philippi, then to Thessalonica, then to Berea, then on to Athens. And now we pick up to the spot where he went on to Corinth, the city of Corinth, a major port city, uh, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire at that time. As we uh, remember the Zaners in prayer with their church building burned, we also remember what the, what the church is built out of anyway. How is the church built? First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that people who believe in Christ Jesus are living stones building the church laid on the foundation of the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ Himself. How is the church built? Paul preached and he taught the gospel. He called people to repent and believe. And that is simply how the church is built. Paul did not dedicate himself to making tents so that he could provide shelters for the homeless. That would be a good thing to do, a loving thing to do. Paul did not focus his life on feeding the poor and the starving. That's a kind thing to do, a godly thing to do. Paul did not expend his strength attempting to revoke unjust laws. Very simply, the church has built one living stone after another, after another, when people respond by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew the truth that nothing was more important that nothing was more loving than to tell people of how to be saved, how to be forgiven, how to have eternal life. There's no greater love, no stronger love, than desiring all people to repent and to be saved, to believe. Here in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. The Bible is the true Word of God. And it's based on reality, on truth, on actual events. It's recorded other places besides the Bible that the Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome sometime in the 40s. He expelled the Jews from Rome. Corinth is a real city. Paul arrives in real time. Aquila and Priscilla are real people. His workers, Silas and Timothy, that show up are real people at the time. Many try to portray the Bible as uh, being some kind of fanciful mythology because it has the miraculous in it. Well, if you were to read Greek mythology and then compare it to the Bible, it would not even be close. It would not even be close. The Bible is real and it is true. It contains a lot of history. You look at the difference. Uh, I've read the Quran comparing the Bible to the Quran. First of all, the Quran 
records no history whatsoever other than repeating Bible accounts. It has no history in it about Muhammad or anything else. The Quran records no miracles done by Muhammad or anyone else except other than repeating Bible accounts of miracles. The Quran records no prophecies of future events other than talking about Judgment Day to come. It records no moral code. It literally has no moral code except the giving of alms to the poor and uh, limiting the number of wives you have to four, no more than four. And, of course, giving some instruction on the uh, practice of taking hostages and holding them for ransom. The Bible has history. It has prophecies that have been fulfilled and prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. It records miracles, which you would expect from an all-powerful God. And the Bible has an extensive moral code of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all there. In verse 4, it says, Paul was in the synagogue reasoning, trying to persuade the people there. <clears throat> you see, the gospel is a matter of reasoning and persuading. It's not a matter of manipulation. There's always a few people out there that think, I've got to manipulate people and tweak them just right to get them to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about manipulation. It's not about deception. It's not pure emotional pleading. Paul persuades them by reasoning with them. He's presenting the facts. He says this is what God said in His Word. This is what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, in real time, on a real cross in the Roman world. This is what God has done. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The next verse says, Since we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade people. We try to persuade people. Verse 14, the love of Christ controls us, compels us. We're, we're compelled by the love of Christ, not by gain or manipulation or glory or anything else. The love of Christ compels us. And so we are God's ambassadors, as if He's making His appeal through us be reconciled to God. There is a movement. There is a movement. I guess it's probably still going on. It's been around for most of my life, a movement in the last 50 years or so, promoting lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism. The idea there in this lifestyle evangelism is that if you don't worry about trying to witness to anybody, but if you live such good lives, and just by being so kind and good and loving, then other people are going to naturally be drawn to Christ. Sounds good. And it is important to have a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit, loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, loving your neighbor as yourself. It's important to have a good lifestyle that does not turn off people to the Christian faith. But the truth is what? The truth is, Paul did not win Many people, because he overwhelmed people with his kindness and loving lifestyle. The Bible has nothing about that. 
that Paul, oh, Paul, he was just, woo. Paul did win a lot of people. Why? Because he preached the truth. He persuaded. He reasoned with others about the gospel. He taught them. I did not come to Jesus Christ by faith because of being around people with an excellent lifestyle. In fact, when I put my faith in Christ, it was listening to a complete stranger preach the gospel. For all I know, he had a terrible lifestyle. I don't know. But he preached the gospel. And I heard it. And I believed. People have to be told to be challenged, to be persuaded. And while it might sound good if you say, I'm just going to have a lifestyle evangelism and hope people see what a wonderful person I am and come to Christ that way. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. What works is reasoning, persuading, telling people the truth. Paul reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. goes on in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. From this passage, we see that it's important for Christians to stand with other Christians, to support one another, that each person use their own unique gifts for the kingdom of God. Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers. That's what they did. They supported Paul as he taught in the, in the synagogue. But later, Aquila and Priscilla would go on to Ephesus and there they would lead a church in their own home. Silas and Timothy, they show up, and all of a sudden, Paul quits making tents. I'm not going to make tents anymore. I'm going to spend full time preaching, persuading, telling the gospel. And that enables Paul to quit spending his time making tents and pursue his calling of preaching. Even though Silas and Timothy were also preachers of the gospel, they did the same. What does that mean for us, for you and for me? We join together in the church and support and strengthen each other to serve God with the various gifts that God has given to us, whatever that might mean. Uh, some of the more prominent ones being those that work teaching Sunday school, Wednesday nights with the children, the youth, the women, the men, doing what we can to reach the area for the gospel. That's why the Scripture tells us it's so important. Let us consider how to Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing close. I'm assuming maybe I'm the only one called to preach out of this group. Maybe there's others that God will raise up too. But the truth is, no matter what your gifts, you have a responsibility to work together to make Christ known, to teach to persuade. You may not be a classroom teacher, Sunday school teacher, but uh, you better be a teacher in your home with your children of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important. We're called to witness, to persuade, to reason. It goes on in verse 6, and it says, But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Jesus sent His disciples out. 
by twos, and they went to various towns. And he says, if there's a place that won't accept you, uh, kick the dust off your sandals. Leave that place. Similar to what Paul did here. Is Paul giving up? No. Is there ever a time to give up on another person? No. Paul's strategy here, he's outlined it in Romans 11, verse 14. He says I, my, his strategy was, I hope I can win so many Gentiles to Christ. It'll make the Jews jealous. And they'll want to believe. They'll want what they've got. That was his strategy. To make Jews jealous when they see so many Gentiles get saved. Did Paul fail in his witnessing and his teaching and his preaching of the Gospel? No. He made that clear to them. He offered the Gospel of free grace and forgiveness before them. <coughs> what does that mean for you and me? 2023 in Nest City, Kansas, to be witnesses, to share the Gospel with others. When it comes to your witness, tell other people about Jesus. Tell them again. Tell them a third time. Of God's love. Tell them of God's grace. But at the end of the day, shake it off. Shake it off. Do not live in guilt. Do not live analyzing yourself endlessly on some spiritual psychologist couch in your mind and saying, did I say it right? Did I miss the right time? Did I not press hard enough? No. Shake it off. Shake it off. The truth is what? That God will save all who will believe and who all He will save. And it's not dependent on your gifts and talents and efforts. It's not dependent on my abilities. It doesn't matter. God opens heart, is the one who opens hearts and minds. God is the one who opens eyes to see the light of the truth of the Gospel. We get the privilege. We get the privilege of taking part in that work and using the gifts and the abilities that God has given us of being compelled and controlled by His love that He's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So do what God asks you to do. Be a witness. Tell others about Jesus Christ. Invite them to believe. Tell them they need to repent of their sins. And no matter what their response, then you go... Just shake it off. Shake it off. If others reject Jesus Christ, shake it off. I've done my part. I've done what God wanted me to do. I'm not going to worry that it wasn't done more or better or however much. Paul shakes it off as he leaves them. Verse 7, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. It says here very clearly, they heard him, they believed the message he had, and they were baptized. Just like Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the name of the Lord if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one preaches? 
And how can someone preach if they haven't been sent? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who have been sent with good news. How can they hear? How can they call if they don't hear? How can they hear if, they, if there's not preaching? How can they be, preach if they're not sent? Some people are sent far away. We remember in prayer the Zaners, British Columbia, the Todds, Chappas, Mexico, the Bransfords, and the nation of Chad in Africa. Keep them in prayer daily. They've been sent far. But God may be sending you. As Charles Spurgeon said, any Christian who's not a missionary is an imposter. God is sending you. Maybe God is sending you next door. Maybe God is, is sending you down the block. Maybe God is sending you across the room. Across the room to someone else. How can they call on the Lord if they don't hear? How can they hear if no one doesn't preach or teach or speak or persuade or reason? Witness. And how will they hear that witness if you don't go, if you're not sent? Verse 9. Oh, let me back up. The end of that Romans passage in chapter 10, it says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. You have to hear the truth. <coughs> As the passage said, they heard, they believed, and then they were baptized. It wasn't a matter of they got baptized, and then later they heard about it, and later they believed. And that's the practice of this church, which is believers Baptism, not infant baptism. Their person is old enough to hear, old enough to respond, to believe, and then to follow and make that decision to be baptized by them. In verse 8, it said, The entire household of the synagogue ruler believed. The entire household believed there were no infants there if they couldn't believe themselves. But each one within the household was able to believe the Gospel. In verse 9, it goes on to say, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the Word of God. He tells Paul in this vision, do not be afraid. Nobody's going to attack you or harm you. That might seem like a small thing, but <clears throat> I imagine for Paul that was pretty good news. He'd already been beat up a few times and stoned. And uh, I think probably an easy guess for most of us, if we got beat up once for talking about Jesus, we'd be gun shy like you wouldn't believe. We're already gun-shy, unbelievably so in America. But if we got beat up once for preaching the gospel or sharing about Jesus, man, wouldn't we be gun-shy? Paul had been beaten up several times, stoned once. And he gets good news from God. You stay here, nobody's going to touch you. That's a nice promise. So he stays for a year and a half. 
And he tells them, do not be afraid. That's what the angel Gabriel said when he first came to Mary and announced that she'd be the mother of the Holy One from God. That's what the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah when he appeared to him in the temple and announced the birth of John the Baptist to come. Do not be afraid. That's what the shepherds said. That's what the angel said to the shepherds in the field outside of Bethlehem before they told them about today in the city of David is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Paul gets some good news. Do not be afraid. Nobody's going to touch you. He had a year and a half. That was probably, wow. He probably didn't know what to do with a year and a half where he wasn't getting beat up or put in prison. Do not be afraid. There's no fear. When you know the love of God for you, 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears is not perfected in love. There's no fear when you fear only God. There's no fear when you fear only God. That's the truth. There's no fear when your life is centered on the Lord Jesus. There's no fear when you know who you are. That you're a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life and a home in heaven. There's no fear when you quit worrying about trying to please people and focus on pleasing God. If you want to live your life pleasing people, it means being pulled and twisted back and forth with no peace in your heart. If you live your life trying to please your friends, trying to please your parents, trying to please your children, trying to please your, the teacher, the coach, the boss, the neighbor, if you're worried about what people think, there will be no peace. There will be a lot of reasons to fear. But there's no fear when you say, I'm going to worry about pleasing God and God alone. There's no peace even if you live your life only trying to please yourself. You want to live your life trying to please yourself? There'll be the fear of failure. There'll be the fear of missing out. There'll be the fear of falling short. But God says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, who trusts in you. It's a good thing. And one of the names given to the Messiah to be born was the Prince of Peace. When you have Jesus in your heart and you're living your life to please Him above all else, He's the Prince of Peace. Through Christ we have peace with God. And it's perfect. There's perfect peace when you're concerned with pleasing God. Jesus talked about how He lived His life on earth. In John 8, verse 29, Jesus said, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases Him. If Jesus had concerned Himself with making His mother happy, with making Peter, James, and John happy, with making the rabbis happy, with making the Pharisees happy, making the Sanhedrin happy, the high priest happy, He'd have done nothing. He had failed miserably on what God wanted him to do. 
but he lived his life always without sin, pleasing the Father. We don't always, we've got a sinful nature and we don't achieve that, but that's the best thing you can do in your life is to set your heart, set your mind on living your life to please God, period. And not worrying about what other people think. And not worrying about whether your friends are happy with you or somebody else is happy with you. But to say, I want to live my life to please God. To please the One who, who died on the cross for me. To be somebody, like it says in Romans 2, verse 29, whose praise is not from men, but from God. It's great to be patted on the back, to have other people appreciate what you do and how you've done it and how you've succeeded and what you've accomplished. That's wonderful to have other people encourage you and spur you along to love and the good works. But at the end of the day, shake it off no matter what else happened, no matter what else anybody said, good or bad, to shake it off and say at the end of the day, have I pleased God? Have I pleased my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He tells Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Paul says in Ephesians 6.19, Pray for me also that whenever I open my mouth, I may be given the words to fearlessly make known the mystery of the Gospel. Paul, you would think, oh, Paul, he does he need somebody to pray for him to be fearless, making Christ known? Look what he did. All the times he witnessed to Christ. Yes, even though he was beaten and jailed and all these things happened to him. He needs prayer? Yes, he needed prayer to fearlessly make it known. How much more so, you and I, to pray for one another that we might fearlessly make known this gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Your words can have a lasting impact on the lives of others. Do not be silent. Who is God sending to you? Sending you to? Is it someone next door, down the block? Is it someone across the room, at school, across the room, at work, across the room, in the store? Who is the Lord sending you to? Proverbs 11.30 says, He who is wise wins souls. Be a wise person. Daniel 12, verse 3, says, The wise will shine like the sun forever. And those who turn many to righteousness like the brightness of the stars forever and ever. There's a great thing to be involved in this work of knowing what it is to fear the Lord. So you persuade people. You persuade people to put their trust in Jesus Christ. In Paul's vision, he says, do not be afraid. Why? Keep speaking. Don't be silent. Nobody's going to lay a hand on you. Had a year and a half. Woo. Nobody laid a hand on you. But he also said what in verse 10? I am with you. I am with you. God gives them a promise. I am with you. I'm never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. A promise repeated several times twice in Deuteronomy, once in Joshua, once in Hebrews. God will never leave you or forsake you. After His resurrection, Jesus said, 
given us the great commission to go and make disciples and persuade people. And at the end of that great commission, he says, what? I'm with you always, even to the very close of the age. I'm with you. As Romans 8.39 says, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said it in John 10.28, No, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish ever, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. I'm with you. I'm with you. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You are with me. God is with you. His Holy Spirit within you. When you sleep, when you eat, at home, during school, when you work, wherever you go. And that's a great promise. Because we have a great Savior. We have a great life that God has called us to. To build the church. To build the church. One living stone at a time. One human life at a time. Not when we sit back and think we can overwhelm them with our lifestyle, which may not be very good anyway. But when we open our mouths and give a witness and persuade and reason with others that there's this one God and one true Son, Jesus Christ, who did everything we need that we might be forgiven, have eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, just thank You, Lord, uh, for the power of Your Word that You worked in the first century in the 40s through Paul through Silas and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla, and that You're working in 2023 through us here at First Baptist in this city. Help us to be Your witnesses, to fearlessly make known this Gospel of grace for Your love, for Your greatness, for Your glory, for Your praise. Amen.